We are a nation of peacekeepers. For more than seven decades, Canadians have served in peacekeeping missions around the world. More than 125,000 Canadians have traveled to areas experiencing conflict and unrest. Places like Haiti, the Balkans, and the Sinai Peninsula. There, they've helped restore peace and security while facing extreme climates and dangerous conditions. Join us as veterans share their experiences as peacekeepers. We'll hear about their triumphs, struggles, and the human connections they've made. With courage, integrity, and loyalty, they've left their mark. Many Canadians served in European community, UN, and NATO missions in Croatia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, and Macedonia. These new countries arose from the ashes of the former country of Yugoslavia. As of 1991, tens of thousands of Canadian Armed Forces members joined these missions in the Balkans region of Southeast Europe. They worked to restore peace and security to the people there. Born in Pembroke, Ontario, Wendy Jocko is the chief of the Algonquins of Pikwakanagwan First Nation and comes from a long line of Indigenous warriors. Following in the footsteps of her parents and five uncles, she served for 23 years in the Canadian Armed Forces, including two peacekeeping missions in the Balkans. I have a very vivid recollection of when I was four years old, so that would be 1964. We were living in Petawawa at the time in the village, and I was sitting on uh, my little tricycle, and I happened to notice a soldier coming out of the store, and he had the old grey khakis on with the putties, and just the way he held himself and presented himself, I mean, he he looked very impressive to me as a four-year-old child. And at that very moment, uh, I decided uh, that I was also going to be a soldier when I grew up. I would have been 17 years old in grade 11. And the Canadian Forces Recruiting uh, Centre uh, sent a sergeant to our school to give us a, a talk about the military. So I went home and spoke to my mother and she uh, encouraged me to, to uh, you know, join as well because my mother comes from Scotland and during the war, she was part of the Women's Land Army. So she was a military person herself, as well as my own father who joined the war effort along with five of his brothers they all joined the military and were posted overseas during World War II. I do come from a long line of uh, warriors. My great-grandfather, time six, was Pierre-Louis Constant Panesse. He was the Grand Chief of the Algonquins uh, back in the uh, 1800s, and he did fight in the War of 1812. So we come from a long line of uh, military people and uh, warriors. After joining the Canadian Armed Forces, Jocko trained as a supply technician. She was posted to Western Canada and Ontario. 
It was in Chilliwack, British Columbia, that she learned she'd soon be deploying to Bosnia. She left for the Balkans in 1993, not knowing much about that part of the world or what awaited there on her first mission to the region. I had uh, three children at the time. My youngest was 18 months, so it was a bit of a, you know, um, you know, a pull at my heartstrings, that's for sure. But uh, they were left in good care with their father and my mother and my my stepfather. And, and so I, I went uh, on to some very involved training at uh, Canadian Forces Base Wainwright. So there was a lot of uh, weapons training. There was certainly a, a lot of uh, physical fitness training because you, you certainly have to be physically fit when you're in the military and you have to be up to 100% when you're when you're deployed. So there was certainly a lot of um, training. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, language training at the time, you know, uh, learning about what was going on in the country, rules of engagement, you know, everything to prepare you uh, essentially for, for your deployment. When we were deployed, I remember leaving the airport in Calgary, going up the stairs with my uh, my little uh, carry-on baggage, you know, and because you don't know if you're coming back. But I was going up the stairs and, of course, wondering what lay before me. It was quite a long journey. I do recall that. I think it was about 17 hours that we were on the plane. And uh, I believe we, we stopped over in Germany. And then from there, we took a plane to Zagreb. In Croatia, Jocko served with the Canadian Logistics Battalion on Operation Mandarin as part of the United Nations Protection Force meant to create the conditions of peace and security. The mission's mandate was to ensure the demilitarization of portions of Croatia and to protect residents from fear and potential attacks. The morale was, was high and arriving in a, a war-torn country, there was a uh, an eerie silence, of course, you know, amongst amongst the mist. It was quite a, quite a bizarre feeling. Anyways, I do recall rolling into the town of Jarevar, and I noticed alongside of the hill there was uh, a little wagon, and they have uh, Roma people that uh, um, you know are in Europe, and um, they were camped at the side of this uh, landfill site. And I thought to myself, my goodness, I can see a young woman and her children at the, at the edge of this landfill site. And I said, look at that poor young woman and her children. I said, by the time I leave here, I'm going to bath those children. So that's my, my first memory, you know, coming uh, to Zagreb and up to Camp Parliament at Derivar. arriving at the camp. It was a beauty, beautiful sunny day and looking around the town I did notice, I thought to myself, you know, there's a war going on but uh, you know the life goes on because flowers were in bloom against homes that were bullet riddled. You know, there wasn't a lot of people walking around but there you could still see some people, you know, going about their business and I thought to myself, 
yes, life does go go on even uh, during during war. On this first mission, Jocko was responsible for making sure the camp and contingent were well supplied. I was the local purchasing agent, so it was my job to go into the city of Zagreb every day and fill the supply uh, needs of our um, camp and the contingent, basically. So if you went left, which I did every day, you didn't need your weapon, you didn't need your helmet or your flag jacket. If you turned right, you needed to be fully kitted out, fully you know, in defense mode. So I would uh, leave the camp every day uh, very early, probably around seven o'clock in the morning because it was a two hour drive to Zagreb. And I would uh, meet at a specific uh, location to meet our translator. We would go around to the different uh, shops, for instance, plumbing, electrical. We would go to the um, suppliers who did our contingent laundry. We would make arrangements for pickups, delivery and payment. And then, of course, it was very dangerous if you were traveling. Actually, the vehicle that I had was actually bullet riddled, you know, from uh, whoever had it before, who uh, obviously ran into live fire. Her first deployment to the Balkans lasted six months. Before she left Bosnia, she reconnected with the family she'd first met on her arrival. I mentioned to Davar, who was the translator, that there was a, a young woman and her children at the side of this uh, landfill. And I did uh, go in from time to time, but of course I couldn't speak the language. But she was there living in a plywood dwelling, basically 12 by 12 with, uh, you know, beds on each side. She lived there. Her name, I found out her name was Maria. She lived there with her grandmother. Her name was um, Agatha. And she had two young children. One was a little boy who was about five years old and a little girl named Dragona. And unfortunately, Maria was um, raped by one of the Serbian soldiers. And this is how little Dragona was born. And they, they had no amenities. I mean, they had no running water. Uh, they had the, the basics. Uh, you know, it was very, very sad. And I remember that uh, they had uh, a little fire that they used to cook off of. It was bricks with a little grate over top and they could cook in a frying pan, you know, um, any meat or whatever they, um, you know, were preparing for the day. Very, very sad. So I, I connected with them. I used to uh, leave the camp with some supplies and drive through the, you know, to the landfill to see Maria and her children, drop that off. And on my way home, I would uh, pop in to say hello on my way back. Bearing in mind that I could not speak the language, but I learned very quickly, it doesn't matter uh, who you meet uh, or where they're from, you can always communicate somehow through hand gestures, you know, smiles, laughter, body language, you know. It was quite amazing that we, we had a connection even though we couldn't understand each other. 
So that's when I decided to bring Davar onto the scene because, of course, he could speak the language and uh, he came with me to, to meet Maria and her grandmother and the children and um, basically, you know, inquired as to their state of affairs, how they came there. I learned that Maria actually gave birth at the side of the hill, no doctor, all by herself with her grandmother. You know, talk about a tough life, a very tough existence. And Maria's uh, father, um, he lived actually at the top of the hill in Daravar in uh, a, a, an actual ruin. It was a, a home, I presume it was uh, bombed out because it was uh, brick rubble, you know, debris all over the place. And her father lived there in a covered wagon with his second wife and their uh, th uh, three little children. And I did learn that one of their beautiful little children, I'm ne you've never seen such lovely looking little children uh, in all your life. And uh, here they are living, you know, in a covered wagon at the site of a bombed out home. It was very, very sad. And one of the little children, unfortunately, ate something out of the uh, the landfill and died uh, while we were there. So, you know, very, very memorable. And, and to me, that made my deployment, um, well, I felt like I was actually uh, doing something worthwhile and, and helping a, a local family. At the end of her tour, Jocko left for home. Five years later, she returned to the Balkans for a second tour. So off I went for the second time, 1998, with two service battalion and our contingent. We went back uh, to Zagreb. I was actually stationed at Zagreb at that time. And uh, off we went again. And my job, ironically enough, it was the same job that I had when I went over in 1993. I was again the local purchasing agent. When I went over in 1993, of course, that was just at the the heat of the conflict and the uh, the attempt, you know, to establish uh, some type of peace and security within the region. And when I went back in 1998, that was um, what they called the stabilization force. So things were you know, uh, a little bit more stable, which I could clearly see. We had a little bit more freedom of movement. There was, uh, you know, an, an increase in um, civilian visibility where nobody really was uh, in 1993 coming out of their homes, buildings that were demolished and, and the rebuilding, you could clearly see that there was an improvement. And ironically enough, uh, they even had McDonald's uh, in, in Zagreb in 1998, much to our surprise. Uh, I couldn't believe it. They, they actually had a McDonald's. So, you know, it, it seemed to be a, a more bustling and thriving economy in, in Zagreb at that time. So there was, there was a, quite a, a visible difference. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Peacekeepers edition of the Faces of Freedom podcast. Subscribe and check out previous seasons through your favorite podcasting app. If you have a suggestion, whether it's a guest or a story, you can reach us at Canada Remembers on Facebook and Instagram and at Veterans Affairs Canada on Twitter. Use the hashtag Canada Remembers and tell us what you think. If you're looking to dig even further into the stories of Canadian veterans, we have a wide selection 
online at veterans.gc.ca. Thanks for joining. Until next time.